Hello and welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, where what is it that Sheila always says? I mean, I, I edit the podcast every week, so I should know. I, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> where we make marriage less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. Nailed it. Yay! Good job. No, while Sheila is away in England on a vacation with my little sister, her other daughter, um, Connor and I are going to host today's podcast just so we can make sure that we get you something. I hope you enjoy. Hope we do a good job. So today we wanted to bring you something that we've actually been working on for the last couple months ourselves that has been a really easy way to make our marriage a lot happier. Yeah, as a bit of a practical marriage tip. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking about practical sex tips on the blog all month, and we got more coming every Wednesday this month. And so we thought, hey, why not for the podcast, why don't we do a practical marriage tip that we have actually been using in our day-to-day lives, and it has actually made us much happier with each other. Yeah. And we were already pretty happy, so... The bar was set high. Yes, it really was. So a while back, Connor and I did a podcast together with Mum about how, you know, our marriage got so much better and we had this turning point when you kind of had this moment of accepting a lot of personal responsibility for keeping house. But since we've done that podcast, it's kind of been taken up a level because for my first trimester of pregnancy, I was incredibly ill. Like, I was bedridden for pretty much three months. Just sick all the time. Yeah, I was so nauseous. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't look at the fridge. I couldn't look at the freezer. I couldn't even think about doing dishes. I couldn't make food. Yeah, you had a you had that sidekick, uh, Bucky, which was your little <laughs> vomit bucket that I had to carry horrible. around behind you from room to room. It was horrible. And so not only had Connor already done a really good job taking responsibility for stuff, now he was actually forced to literally do everything. So once I wasn't sick anymore, we kind of ended up having to find this weird equilibrium because we'd gone from me doing most things and taking responsibility for most things to Connor taking responsibility for almost everything, and I had gotten quite used to that and liked it (laughs) quite a bit. And so we've been working recently, as we're getting ready for the kid to actually arrive, to put in really good systems in place that make life just really easy. Yeah, it makes everything easier just in terms of even having the chores done consistently and having them be really simple to take care of because of the systems we have put in place. And the first big thing I think was really an extension of the fact that I had to do pretty much everything, especially in certain areas while Rebecca was in her first trimester. Because she was so sick all the time, everything particularly involving food, compost, (laughs) the fridge was an absolute no-go zone. I was cooking just about every meal. Well, not uh, every meal. I was having seven meals a day because I was also really hungry. Yeah. So you're cooking like double what I would have normally cooked in a day. Yeah. Uh, and then all the compost, all of the fridge stuff, that was all on me. Pretty much anything in the kitchen I was taking care of. And what that did is it got me used to having certain things that I am just solely responsible of taking care of. And the reason that's useful is because so often I think we fall into this trap in marriage where if we've got tasks that aren't clearly designated to one spouse or the other, it's easy to think, well, I don't really have time to take care of this right now. It's not super convenient for me and I did it last time, so my spouse is probably just going to take care of it this time. And you have that unexpressed expectation Mm -hmm. and that might not get carried out. They might be thinking, I'm kind of expecting him to do that because I've done a lot of other stuff today. You just have mismatched expectations. And also, sometimes you just get lazy and you're just like, well, if he doesn't do it, then he hasn't done it either, and so I can blame him for not doing it. Yeah, and you enable each other. Yeah, exactly. 
I think also it's important to say, like, we've talked about housework a decent amount, you and me, on the podcast and on the blog, and I think people might start to get this misunderstanding that we are just really tidy, organized people with our lives together when it comes to housework, and we're really, really not. No. Um, That's why we talk about it so much, because it's something that we're both really quite bad at. (laughs) Like, really bad. Um, But consistently getting better yeah and that's exactly it and so this is something that we've been finding because i just realized that when we have this kid our lives are just going to get so hectic and so crazy and we're going to be sleep deprived and the whole house is going to be covered in just baby things and i was not willing to have that kind of chaos in my life Mm -hmm. and i realized that i need to figure this out now before the kid comes yeah and we know we know that tidiness and chores is not going to be the primary issue facing uh, a lot of other married couples out there Mm -hmm. they're going to have other problems they're going to have you know maybe bigger problems or smaller problems but by at least setting up good systems with the household chores and keeping the household together Hopefully, even if that's not your primary problem, it will make all of the other areas a lot easier to deal with. Because like Rebecca said, with a kid coming, life is going to be crazy for a bit. But at least if our house is organized and we have systems in place, it'll make dealing with the late nights and the small amount of sleep and taking care of a messy child that much easier. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And something that we have realized which I'm sure all of you organized people listening are going to laugh, but we have just so realized that it's so much easier to do like 20 minutes of cleaning a day than to do five hours every weekend. Yeah. And this is something that I know many of you are probably like, yeah, no, duh, this is really easy and just day one kind of stuff. But for us, it really wasn't. So here's some practical things that we've started doing that have really helped our lives just be a lot less stressful. And it's helped us, you know, it's easier to cook nice meals. It's easier to actually sit down and enjoy dinner together because our dining room table isn't covered in stuff. Yeah. So here's a couple of just practical things that we've done. And hopefully they can kind of help a little bit to figure out how to sort out housework or just the things that are stressing you out or how to think about putting in systems in place yeah. to make life less stressful. Yeah. So first thing, again... That clear division of tasks. Now, this doesn't need to be all chores or all tasks, but it certainly helps to identify some that you can make one person's responsibility. For example, now Rebecca's able to make meals again and she's able to work in the kitchen, but I still take care of, the, you know, taking the compost out, for example. Things like that. It's, we just have a system where every night I take that out. It doesn't have to be a thing that we think about. We don't have to figure out who's going to do it. I just take care of it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that goes hand in hand with that is that we have a set time when things get done. Yeah. Because that's the big thing that was missing that we never did. So every night before we go to bed, the dishwasher is loaded and turned on if it's full. You know, all the remaining dishes that don't go in the dishwasher are done. The cabinets and the counters are all wiped down and the dining room table is cleaned off. Yeah. And we don't do a whole deep clean, but that takes a few minutes. It isn't very long, but if you do it every single day, it's super easy. Yeah, and we stumbled across this largely in thanks to having a bit of an ant problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were like, we really need to crack down on this kitchen stuff right now to make sure that we can clear out this ant problem. If there isn't food, the ants aren't going to come by. And so we figured out how we can just keep the kitchen clean and sanitized, particularly each night before we went to bed. And in that process, we realized, wow, this is a lot easier just in general 
Yeah, and our lives are a lot less stressful, and hey, look, I'm snapping at you less. Yeah. It was just amazing, and it was so funny, and we were like, well, the ants are gone, but I think we're going to keep doing this. Yeah. And so it's working really well. And the thing that really helps with having a set time for when it's done by is so that when you do have those things that are specifically your chores, there's a clear trigger for when they get done because it's so easy just to get distracted by other stuff you're not naturally a clean or tidy or organized person like we are well like we are not we are not naturally that way that's what i mean it's so easy to get distracted so when you have that trigger of like oh it's after dinner and so we're gonna do our quick cleanup everything just gets done yeah because communication or miscommunication in particular is a big place that a lot of conflicts can start up in marriage But at the same time, you don't want to always have to be communicating about chores. You want to be able to talk (laughs) about other things. So by setting out those systems, there's a pre-communication in place. There is clear information. There's a clear assumption of who is going to deal with what. And then that just becomes a non-issue. Yeah, exactly. And it's so nice because I don't have to say, hey, and do you mind taking out the compost now because it's your chore? Because you just do it when we do all of our chores. Yeah. Yeah, and it works really, really well. And I know this all sounds probably really, really simple to a lot of you who actually have your lives together. Okay, but this is really big for us. (laughs) And for those of you who are already doing this, just take this as a, yeah, congrats, good on us. We're, We're doing it right. Yeah, or like, you know, what kinds of things could you find systems for in other areas of your life too, right? Because, like, if you find these systems at work, then if there's something else that's causing you stress or often is overwhelming, maybe that needs a new system, too. I mean, even with laundry, we've done this. We actually went out and I finally just bought three different laundry hampers so that I never have to sort it on laundry day. We just sort it as the stuff gets dirty. Like, another big one that we did that's made a huge difference for me is we have three different hampers now so that instead of just throwing all of our dirty laundry into one big thing and then I happen to go through and sort it into a giant laundry day later... I can just do a load whenever our whites is filled or whenever our heavies like our sheets and our towels and our cleaning cloths have a full load ready because it's just these little things which make life a lot less stressful or overwhelming when you can just do them in bite-sized pieces. And I think that's the big thing that people who are naturally organized and clean kind of understand and people like me who have to really focus at it and try at it It's really hard to figure out how to get your life down into those little bite-sized pieces and how to just do it one piece at a time because it becomes so overwhelming so quickly. So I guess for today's podcast, we just wanted to encourage you to try to figure out where are the bottlenecks in your marriage? Where are the things that are causing you stress? Where are the things that are causing conflict? And are there systems that can be put in place to make those things easier to deal with? Yeah. You know, maybe for you, it's the finances. And maybe it just needs to be that every single Saturday, you sit down and have a really big meeting, the two of you, where you pull out all the receipts and you pull out all of the bills and you just pay it all off and take out the cash. Or maybe it's every night for a while until the financial issue is kind of cleared up if it's short term. It's just taking these things that tend to hang over your head and cause a lot of stress and conflict in your marriage and try to find a way to break it down into bite-sized pieces that are much more manageable on a day-to-day or weekly basis. Because it really is easier to handle these things more often in shorter bursts than to have to do these huge intense days or weeks or months of organizing and of getting through them and having these long conversations and sorting it all out it's just easier to be able to nip it in the bud yeah so we just wanted to give you a quick look behind the scenes to let you know the kinds of things that we're actually dealing with in our marriages 
and how we're handling them and doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, certainly making improvements. Yeah, exactly. And I guess I hope that this helps any of my fellow unorganized, messy people who just desperately want to have a nice house and who desperately (laughs) want to be clean. (laughs) And I hope that it's able to help you and your spouse talk about what kinds of systems you can put in place to figure out where those stress points and those trigger points are and how to make them have less power over your relationship. Yeah, the stress points, the trigger points, and also the areas in which you might be enabling one another, whether that be with enabling one another to not really do the chores around the house or enabling one another to spend more money than you should on eating out. Yeah, or example. even or even just not being active, you know, getting yeah. into a habit of just going for a half hour walk after dinner every single night. You know, even that can make a huge difference. It's just these little things where we often focus on the giant mountain of a task and we forget just to take it one step at a time. Welcome to Millennial Marriage. I'm Rebecca Gregor Lindenbach, Sheila's daughter, and while she's away, I'm kind of hosting this week's podcast. So today's Millennial Marriage segment is with me and also Joanna, who works on the blog as well. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Rebecca. And we are going to talk about something that's very close to both of our hearts, um, because both of us have gone through this very recently, um, is pregnancy etiquette, specifically how to talk about pregnancy with people in your social circles, because a lot of people are so excited for, you know, women or couples who are trying to get pregnant, who want to have kids, and they try really hard to be involved or to be supportive, but unfortunately, sometimes the time, the way that we talk about these things can verge on accidentally insensitive or invasive. And it's very accidental and it's always from a very good place, but we just wanted to kind of talk about what should the guidelines be and what kinds of things would we appreciate as we're going through this and what kinds of things are maybe not so helpful or not so appropriate that are kind of considered normal. Exactly. Yes. So I think it's important for us just to start with where we're coming from so that folks understand sort of our background and our perspective on all of this. My husband and I were married for four and a half years when our daughter was born, and it had been a while and people started to kind of have questions. What they didn't know is that I was an infertility patient and that I was, you know, going to doctor's appointments, trying to get to the bottom of why we couldn't seem to have a baby. And then eventually I was on medication and was able to conceive our daughter. They also might not have known that I was in the beginning of a very high-risk pregnancy, um, which was complicated both by gestational diabetes and what turned out to be thyroid cancer. So I was pretty cagey about my pregnancy at the beginning when I was pregnant with uh, my daughter just because of that experience. Um, And then we were able to subsequently get pregnant after um, I had the cancer and everything was taken out last uh, on November 1st so All Saints Day I got my my old lumpy removed which was really nice and didn't require any chemo so we were able to get pregnant a couple months later but unfortunately we lost that baby at 11 weeks and um, experiencing miscarriage was really hard for lots of reasons Um, one of which was of course that we just really loved our baby and wanted to get to know him or her Um, but also it was stressful because I had some really significant bleeding and had a very scary uh, event as I was uh, experiencing a miscarriage. And also, I really wanted my kids to be less than two years apart. And I knew that with the miscarriage that that was no longer possible. And I was really mourning the death of a dream. We had been somewhat open with people about the fact that I was expecting, especially since we had seen a strong heartbeat. And um, it was really difficult to go back to have to tell everybody that we'd lost this baby. And so 
I come at the perspective of pregnancy etiquette having experienced both infertility and loss. And I fought throughout my infertility and now having experienced a miscarriage to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I think that that is absolutely critical and I've written about that on the blog. But I also think that we have to be sensitive to those who are mourning, whether that's because of infertility, loss. Um, There are lots and lots of reasons why people's hearts are hurting when it comes to family size and the timing of their kids. And so while we feel that we have lots of control, I just think it's really important to be as kind and thoughtful as possible. Um, when we're talking to people. Exactly. Yeah. And I come from it from a very different perspective because Connor and I were really lucky and we got pregnant quite easily, quite frankly. And now I'm almost seven months and we're doing well. So like we're have very like for, for like from that perspective, we have a very different areas. But the beginning of my, my pregnancy, my first trimester, I was really stressed as well. Um, I, as many of you on the blog know, I had a little brother who passed away from hypoplastic left heart syndrome um, complications that were associated with Down syndrome that he also had. And I was really worried that something go wrong and I would lose the baby or I would be, I would think I'm totally fine that the 20 week ultrasound, we'd find out that something was really wrong. And I've had a lot of these anxieties as well. And and it's been actually quite difficult to, I found it really difficult to actually tell people I was pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I had, that was almost like I had to accept that it, w- it might be okay, <laughs> which was, again, a very different side of it. But I, it's like what you said, it's a very personal experience. Yeah, exactly. And and there are, you don't know what the stories that someone has in their background, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you lost your brother. I had a cousin who died when she was a young uh, toddler. Like, loss happens and it's really, really important that we're sensitive to it as we're talking to people about their potential pregnancies. Yes, So how can we be excited for the people in our communities and how can we encourage people who are trying to become parents or who want to become parents without kind of crossing insensitive lines? And that's the Mm -hmm. thing we really want to talk about here. So in general, there are some things that I think we agree are just never really a good idea to ask unless you're really, really close with the person. Like, unless you're going to be there in the 48 hours after the baby is delivered, kind of close with the person kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think one of those questions is, so are you trying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge one. And um, I would also expand that question to the parents. I've had people, um, I had a friend who apologized to my mom that she wasn't a grandma yet. And I was what? an infertility patient. Yeah, it happened. <gasps> oh, gosh. And uh, it was someone who should have known better. Um, and it was not, I, I mean, obviously you understand where they're coming from. And I extended grace and all the rest of it. But I, I was hurtful, right? Like, it, you know, I was, I was trying to have a baby. I wanted to make my mom a grandmother. That was the deepest desire of my heart. And so that kind of thing like just you don't know what's going on in the background you just Um, don't and especially I think also it's questions like like what you were saying with with uh Mari um being an older sister someday too is the questions like oh when you like when you're gonna have your next one and stuff like that like unless you're close to them like you don't know if they're trying and experiencing second uh, secondary um, infertility you don't know if they did just have a miscarriage you don't know and so in general unless I think the general rule for for Connor and me we're talking to people at our church is unless again do the 48 hour rule okay because I have people who if they were asking me I wouldn't care and it's usually people who you want there in the first like 
couple of days after baby. But if you wouldn't be there, <laughs> you don't need to know if they're trying right now or not. And there's no reason to really ask. Yeah, I think that the one thing that folks can do is I've had friends who have offered support. I had a friend in Saskatoon when we lived there who was an infertility patient before having, well, actually throughout her reproductive history when um, trying to have her first, second, and then uh, they had a surprise third baby, which was just amazing. (laughs) Um, But in the midst of all that, she told me that, you know, as I was going through stuff, you know, if you want to talk to anybody, you let me know. If you want to call me after, if you guys are ever able to conceive and you're having a baby and it's hard because you wished for this baby so hard and then suddenly you're dealing with being up in the middle of the night and you're sleep deprived and it's going crazy. Um, having that kind of offer from a friend is amazing, even if you don't know them super well. and But you know that they've gone through something like infertility or loss or you know, really wanted to have kids, that kind of offer is super useful. And then you're not saying, what are you doing? You're just saying, hey, I'm your friend. I'm open. If you ever need anything, come talk to me. Exactly. And you can actually do that before the person's even pregnant. Like, because the thing is, reality in a lot of church communities, you know when people want to have kids. People talk and you talk to one person who says someone something to someone else in the nursery. That's just what happens. And I had two different women at my church before Connor and I were even trying who knew we wanted to have kids in the next couple of years, who emailed me specifically doing pretty much the same thing. Like, hey, sorry if this is crossing boundary, but I wanted to let you know, you know, I had a really difficult journey with infertility to get my two kids. And if you guys are ever in a position where you just need to talk to someone and rant about stress or fears or anything like that, hit me up. We'll have coffee. Just let me know if there's anything I can do. And it wasn't like this, I'm going to invade into your personal space or make you answer any questions. It was just an open invitation of, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. And I think that's exactly what people need more than having to answer uncomfortable questions about, hey, are you trying? It's like, what are you going to say? Like, yeah, we tried on Tuesday. Like, <laughs> you know, like even if you are going to answer it, it's just a little awkward. So it's really nice to have those offers from people who are like, if you ever need to talk as you're going through this whole trying to become a parent thing, I'm here and there's no assumptions there's nothing else like you can encourage people and you can be involved in their journey you totally can but I think the question is always is this something that is putting the emotional pressure on them or something that's helping take the emotional pressure off of them exactly yes and I think my other rule of thumb is that the question how many kids do you want is totally and completely out of bounds unless you are really really close to the person because you don't know I mean, I, m- my experience has been, well, I don't know how many kids I want. I don't know what's going to happen. I've had all these health problems in the last couple of years. They're pretty scary. I don't want to put a baby at risk. I have to weigh a lot of variables, and I don't have an answer for you. So I, I would rather people just not ask that particular question because additionally, even if you are able to you know, have a, a, a normal health experience, as most people are, there are folks who experience secondary infertility. You don't know if people have had infant loss. Just again, just that's such an invasive question. And it doesn't seem that way to people. I think most of the time it's asked as a getting to know you question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would really steer clear of that one. Especially since even if there isn't any infertility problems or problems actually getting pregnant or holding a pregnancy or anything like that, it's also what about the mom who experiences severe postpartum depression and never expected that, right? She always wanted the five kids and then she stops after two because she's like, you know what? We can't handle this as a family. My hormones just 
are doing something and I can't do this again. You know, and, and the, those kinds of things do happen to a lot of people or to a lot of families. Or, you know, you have two kids and what happens if then they decide to down, like they lose their job and they just feel they can't financially afford it. Do you really want them to have to talk to you about financial issues and stresses? Like, it's just these kinds of things where, again, all these questions too that can be relatively awkward for the person they're being asked of can be totally appropriate when you're in a close friendship with the person. We're not saying that like if your daughter or if your absolute best friend of the world, like it's not necessarily that these are inappropriate to ask them. It's just, you know, if there's that sweet young woman at church who you just are trying to mentor, maybe approach these situations in a different way if you don't know her that well. Or if you're just getting to know her, maybe these incredibly personal things are not always the best to bring up. <laughs> exactly. And just offering that you're there if they ever want to talk to you, that's totally and completely appropriate. Totally. And letting them set the pace. Um, but I also think, you know, Becca, I never asked you if you were pregnant or if and when you and Connor were trying. I knew that when you were ready, you would tell me. And we both were ready on the day we took our pregnancy test. Pretty, yes. <laughs> You know, like, I just think that, you know, let the other person take the lead on that. And it goes perfectly fine. I think so, fine. too. I think so, too. I think the other thing that I wanted to make sure to bring up here is that it is really important that those of us who have experienced loss and infertility. And, and I, I also just want to stop and take a moment to say that I have it pretty easy. Um, I've had a tough year for for sure. But I have many people in my life who have had you know, almost a decade or more than a decade of infertility who have never been able to have biological children and so on. And so I don't want to make a false equivalency between my 18 months of infertility and experiencing a decade of, of longing for a baby. That's not at all the same thing. Um, and one loss is awful and horrible, but it's not the same as, you know, repeated miscarriages that happen one after another. But in the midst of, of that, it is always really hard to experience loss and, and you do absolutely want people to be sensitive and kind to you. And it has been in the few weeks since my miscarriage. I have so appreciated the women who have come up to me and who have said, you know, I had a miscarriage or, oh, I had three miscarriages and they were here. And I, I had an aunt who told me about her miscarriage and where they were between my cousins. And I thought, you know, you didn't get the spacing and kids that you wanted either. And your kids are close and they're happy and they have a wonderful life. And that reminder has been great for me. So I do, first of all, want to make sure people are willing to share their stories. If you can, if you're in that place where you're willing to let people know what you've gone through, it really has been a huge comfort to me to know where other people are. are. And that's part of why I wanted to you know, talk about the fact that we just had a loss uh, on the podcast. Because I know that there are other people out there who have just experienced a loss or when you're listening to this, that you'll be in that position. The other thing, though, is that I think it's really important to rejoice with those who rejoice. And for me, that meant serving as the chair of our Christian education or essentially children's ministry committee at our church in Saskatoon and being very involved in the baby dedications, taking my Sunday school class to see them, uh, being involved in Mother's Day, all the rest of it. And I loved that and really made sure that I made the baby showers a part of my life, even if it was sometimes hard to go to them. And uh, I also asked that our church was so wonderful about infertility because we'd had lots of people who had been through it. And they had up on the sides of the church, they would have a, a bouquet of flowers in the middle. And then on the side 
uh, projector screens, they would have a, 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 just something acknowledging the fact that there were lots of women in the church who wanted to be mums but who weren't, and that the flowers were there for them. And I absolutely loved the sentiment, but they mm. would leave that message up in the church o- throughout the whole baby dedication, and then the baby dedication would be overwhelmed by the loss. Mm-hmm. And so I asked that they switch out to leave the flowers, leave the sentiment, put it in the bulletin, have it up in a rotation, but that instead they put pictures of the family with the family members uh, labeled up on the side screens so that then if someone, cause I didn't know every family in the church and I would say, Oh, I don't know who that is. Shoot. Um, it was nice to be able to see who was who um, in the service and make the focus about those who were celebrating because there was so much to rejoice about. And as we mourned with those who were mourning, we also had to stop and rejoice about these tiny ones who had come into the world. And I, I do want to be sure that in the midst of our being sensitive, that we also aren't afraid to just be like, you know what, it's really exciting that oh, there are yeah. some great things happening in the world. Exactly. And so... The takeaway from the Millennial Marriage Podcast is three general questions not to ask people are, are you trying? Are you pregnant? And how many, like, oh, when's your next one? Or how many kids are you going to have? Or those kinds of questions. Because you just don't know if that's an appropriate question for that person. I think those are the three questions we settled on. But also, that doesn't mean you don't have the ability or the opportunity to help feed into the lives of the young couples around you or the women who are trying to get pregnant or who are in the process of, of um, building their family. But there are ways that you can do it where you're taking emotional stress and emotional pressure off the person instead of kind of shining a spotlight onto maybe their biggest fears or biggest anxieties right about now, if that makes sense. I was really, really ill for my entire first trimester. I was just bedridden for like three months. So I just didn't go to church for almost 13 weeks, pretty much. And so, of course, people are starting to ask Connor all these questions, like, what happened? Are you guys okay? And also, side note, go to a church where if one of you stops going to church, they ask you if you're okay. But also, um, one of the women who we're quite close with in the church was working with Connor, one of the volunteer roles, and... She says, man, Rebecca hasn't been to church in a really long time. And Connor really doesn't like lying, even if it would be convenient. And so she says, well, how how is she doing? And he says, oh, well, she's just not feeling that well these days. And she said, oh, she got that that cold and that flu that's going around. And Connor's like, no, because he doesn't want to lie. And then she just says, oh, my goodness, is she? Am I not supposed to know? Oh, but is she? Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, but I don't know anything. Okay, I won't say anything. Okay, um, um, oh, tell her congrats. <laughs> but it was so cute, and it was so thoughtful. And she did such a good job of keeping it under wraps, and she didn't tell anyone except for her husband, who Connor said it was okay. And we were so appreciative, but it was just, it was exactly, it was just such a nice way of handling it, because it wasn't, she didn't pepper him with a ton of questions. She let him tell her what he wanted to say, and... But we knew, of course, that there was someone at church who was really excited for us who had figured it out. So, <laughs> And I showed up to church the next week anyway, feeling a lot better. But it was really funny. Oh, absolutely. I just I still love that story. It's up there in my favorites. Yeah, so. my poor husband trying not to lie. <laughs> so what we wanted to just make sure that you all knew is that 
You can definitely be a helpful emotional support to the women around you and to the young couples who are trying to start their family without accidentally crossing a line by avoiding these three simple questions. So that's all we have for Millennial Marriage for today. I hope that this was helpful and I hope that it helped clear up some of those things that can seem totally normal to ask but maybe might be a bit accidentally insensitive so that we can create communities that are encouraging and that are uplifting and where we're still able to really get excited for each other but we're also able to create an environment that is safe for those who are also going through difficult times. And that's all we have for you this week. I know this format was a little bit different. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to check out any of the extras we have, I'm going to be linking a bunch of related posts for both of these topics in today's blog post as well. And you can find that link in the podcast description below. There will be lots of stuff on talking about housework and figuring out how to make life just less stressful, not just in the housework department as well. And also some posts that have been written about more difficult things with pregnancy, such as infertility, but also how to rejoice with those who rejoice i am going to post joanna's post that she was talking about in the podcast as well because it really is a great one i hope you all have a great week and we will talk to you later bye